but I want I want to get like one of those cool ukulele or xylophone songs like the the startups use whenever they're announcing their product and it's, it's all this happy cheerful thing <laughs> and they show like everything but the product. Right. It changes your life. Get more done. Look at this happy family running by. Look yeah. at these cool c- computers and I look at our cool office. Look, we got bean bags and and a ping pong table. It's like you're describing Salesforce mindfulness areas and yeah, yeah, mindfulness areas and celebrities and bands and ships. Ships at sea, ships docked, <laughs> <laughs> ships dropping their poop in the San Francisco Bay. <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah, I don't know. Someone told me there might not be a ship. I don't know. I think there has to be. I, I had heard that they were planning on doing it again it, and possibly two. Oh, so there might not be a ship, but ships. Yeah. Or a fleet. Right. A fleet of poop machines. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, when you got a dump, you got a dump. Uh. <laughs> they when they're not at sea, I mean, and they're they're not designed to be docked with thousands of people on them. They're designed to be out at sea, <laughs> where they can dump at will. All right, so so we don't get any more negative reviews. Let's start talking some Salesforce stuff then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to start with um, just so we can get out of the way. Uh, Brexit. That's not Salesforce. Well, it's kind of Salesforce. Benioff. Whined and complained about it. Why? Why? Because yeah. that's what he does. Why, why does it matter to Salesforce? Well, he probably he'll. I don't know. Well, I'll tell you why. Because, well, because one of his stakeholders came to him and said, "Hey, this sucks. Can you do something about it?" Because it made his stock go down a little bit. Oh, yeah. What do you have? You have something to say about it, or no, your audio, want, or just what? Like, what do you think of what? Do you, what's what's your opinion? I don't know. So, the, so. The United Kingdom has voted to uh, leave the European European Union. See, <laughs> see, I think Americans. I don't think we were ever, and I can, you know, I'm just generalizing, but we're not big on those. It just, it, it's not an American type thing to do to join to join a union like that. So it's hard for me to put myself in. Oh, you mean in, like the United States of America? Well, we actually that is our <laughs> union, right? But that's it. Well, that's a good point, actually. <laughs> uh, you know, some Americans we don't like unions, except we for were, the union that we, we were created. Colonies, though. That yeah, and we have a <laughs> we have a somewhat unique structure, I think. But but it, I mean, I guess if you had to draw some kind of an, an analogy or something, it would be like a state leaving the U.S., right? Is it well, something? That, that, uh, no, because a very self-contained state. I mean, there's only very few states who are self-contained enough that could do it. Well, the, the, the EU is, I don't think it's, it's not near as tight. I mean, they're supposedly still, um, you know, sovereign countries, whereas states in the United States are not sovereign states. They're not allowed. You can't leave. Well, you, Texas it's can. A, it's a roach motel. <laughs> Texas can. I don't think so. In the Constitution. Yeah, I don't, it, in what Constitution? In the Texas Constitution, isn't what, it? We have like some kind of law or, I don't know. Every, every few years, someone brings up seceding from the U.S. That's and a bunch I'm like, of BS. Yeah. Well, it is a bunch of BS, but. Technically, apparently, we can yeah, somewhere I don't think in there. So, but anyway, um, yeah, in the EU, can it's the uh, you know you invoke Article Fifty and you wrap up your business and you go home. You take your ball and you go home. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I'm kind of sympathetic to the um, the idea that you know you want to remain sovereign and and you know these these people in Brussels that are running the EU are they're not elected. They're not. It's not a really a democratic thing, and yet. They can, I guess, pass laws and impose rules and say who, you know, and I, I don't know if it was, you know, the um, the refugees have been a big topic 
and I, I guess that you use, I don't, I don't know if they can say, you know, okay, you will take this many refugees or you will take refugees, but they certainly have the, what is the, um, the Shenzhen zone or whatever it's called? I may be mispronouncing it, but basically, you know, you, um, if you're in the EU, then you must, people, any, any citizen of an EU country can freely, you know, come and go from your country. And I don't know, mm-hmm. but for whatever reason, I think people thought that they were losing their independence, losing their sovereignty. And that was just, you know, time, time to be done with that. They felt like they were paying more than they're, they were getting out of it. Mm. Yeah, I'm not up to my foreign affairs. So I don't know how not much to either. say on it. It just seems to me like, you know, the, the, I'm going to say I'm not in, I'm not up to date and then I'm going to try to comment on it, but I'm just going to say it just seems like people, what, what all people want is, you know, they want the, re- they want the representation, you know, they want their voices heard and, that's kind of hard to do when the the voices get bigger and bigger. I'll tell you what was annoying. The audience, the target audience gets bigger and bigger. I don't know. One thing that was annoying was just the um, just the unbearable triteness and smugness of of the people that were, you know, against Brexit. Um, I saw tons of people who were supposed to be, you know, well-regarded experts on this crap, you know, just saying things like, well, now, you know, now Brits are as dumb as Americans are and stuff like that. I mean, there's just a ton of that. Mm. I guess that's to be expected. Guess. Anyway, all right. So you don't have much to say about that. Um, mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about then what Mark Benioff had to say about it. Uh, so he he did um, he gave that interview which we were listening to earlier, but it was really boring. So I just wanted to I pulled a couple of quotes. Um, this was from uh, I don't know where this is from, but it was by Eugene Kim, who normally writes in like Business Insider, I think. So maybe that's where it's from. This is Reuters. Micah Blake. Mm-hmm. Uh, Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff is one of the most vocal activist CEOs, er- earning the nickname Corporate Bully in some circles, and probably in this one. Maybe still referring to the Good Day Sir podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's Benioff's quote. In Davos, the, dis- the discussions were not forceful around Brexit. In fact, they were somewhat ambiguous. I would say tentative. That's my snobby, smug Benioff voice. Davos. Even the leaders of the United Kingdom who were there, including David Cameron, in their specific comments to CEOs, which I, which I personally attended, were kind of, I would say, unremarkable in their content. Uh, I believe it was a, a little bit too little, too late, when they finally realized that there was a real situation and it could really turn in the wrong direction. So this was the wrong direction for Mark Benioff. They should have. They should have pulled. They should have all asked Mark Benioff. Hey, Mark, what do you think of you know? Just let's just let Mark Benioff decide on whether the it's best for the UK to leave the <laughs> EU or not. Maybe, maybe he was just ramping up his his presence in UK and and thought that would help influence the the EU in general. And then then they pulled the rug out and yeah, from under him. Then he says, "Us as the leaders, I think he meant we as the leaders, have to step forward and have to step forward with more strength, clarity, and more articulation of what we actually care about and what we mean. And this is going to be scary." For a lot of people like myself, <laughs> who are CEOs of companies where it's not always appropriate or encouraged to speak out. Anyway, so uh, Benioff is uh, negative on the Brexit. Hmm. Not a fan. Not a fan of the Brexit. Okay. <laughs> Again, I know nothing on the topic. I have nothing to add. You know what? It's, it's weird. I mean, I have, I think, one friend who knew anything about Brexit. Maybe Americans are the live, live up to the stereotype. My wife knew nothing about it, and she, I think, reads the news. I feel like it's been all over the news for six months. 
I mean, I, I heard about it when it happened, and I, but it's not like I had all the time in the world and energy to go and read both sides of the argument or, you know, immer immerse myself in the decision or anything like that. I'm just, I got stuff to do. I'm busy. I guess. It seems like it's a, a good thing to do to be aware of one's situation in civil society. I uh, agree, but first first I'm aware of what's going on in my house with my kids, and then I'm aware of what's going on with my job, and then I'm aware, aware of what's going on in my state, and then my country, and then we can start thinking about the general well, it, globe. This definitely affected your 401k. So if that's, if that's something you need to be aware of, then... Yeah. Everything affects my it, 401k. It does. No, I mean, that's, that's why it's good to be aware of this stuff. It's, you know, kind of in a global world now. But it looks like, like today, stock markets are up quite a bit. Uh, Dow is up 285. Salesforce is rebounding. They were down to like 76 or something like that. Oh, that was his bigger problem. Oh, yeah, no, they, definitely. Yeah. It's like, darn it. Just lost a couple million right yeah. there. Yeah, and what if what if this makes it... Don't the, the Salesforce have a big tower in, in London or something? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's weird. I, I, saw, I saw one quote earlier from... I think it was from Benioff saying that well, it's it's not it's not a real big pro. I think he was just trying to actually prevent a scare and a and a, a drop of the stock price. But he said, you know, it's it's not we don't do it's, it's not a, that big of a deal of us. We just don't have that much exposure in in England. Then I thought was well, if Salesforce doesn't have much exposure in England, then why the hell do they have a giant tower there with their name on it? Because they want to have well, because that yeah. yeah they're gonna have a tower in every country. <laughs> yeah, used to be in a chicken in every pot. Now it's a tower in every country. <laughs> well, it seems to me that that every HQ they're creating is becoming. Labeled a tower. Oh, it's got to be. It's got to be a big tower. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like he's compensating. <laughs> Sorry. It just... Well... Everything's a tower, you know. It's, and it's got to be the biggest, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, this conversation's going nowhere. Well, let's switch. Um, did you have something? Because I had, I, have, I had some other just front matter here. But if you got something. Is it news or what? I just um, want to do some follow-up on, on something. Okay, do follow-up. Because last week you had mentioned um, <clears throat> the customer relation, what was it? Customer Lightning Cloud or Community? Lightning Community. <laughs> One of those combinations of words, yes. Yeah. So the, the next day after, after you, you briefly mentioned it, I saw some things coming on my news feed and I started reading them. I was like, this has no content. It's, you know, par for the course, right? Every time Salesforce announces something new that's not new for some reason all these new articles start showing up but then i, st I started noticing they were using a lot of the same language and so I, I did a quick plagiarism search and that brought back a ton of results and it was pretty interesting they'll just copy and paste the press release so so for this exact phrase there were there were about 226 results unique results and this it's uh making the customer experience better and more personalized dot the Lightning customer community, that one sentence came up on the plagiar plagiarism checker, and then I plugged that into Google just to see all the different sites. What is this plagiarism checker of which you speak? It's just, there's, there's a bunch of them online. You can plug in some text, and it'll go through and search a bunch of sites for really? that text. And I just use Google, this thing called Google. Well, it's I know. Pretty, it's pretty I, just, I just thought I'd, <laughs> it popped in my head. I was like, I want because I, I, what I really, really, really wanted to do was take a diff between the Salesforce press release and a few articles and yeah. then diff it, and I was like, eh, the internet will do that for me. Let me just find a plagiarism checker. Yeah. You know that that thing. It's a handy tool for teachers, yeah. I would imagine. Well, I'm glad I I'm glad I would finish school before the internet got to be a big thing that that the masses knew how to use. Why? Because all your essays were heavily plagiarized. No, I'm just kidding. I yeah. didn't plagiarize anything. <laughs> um, so that brought back a lot of results. But then another one that showed up on here, um, and this has 2,190 results. 
But this is more of a general phrase, but it's still a phrase that I think only Salesforce would use to describe itself. But yeah, it's getting used everywhere, and it's it's it shows up on a lot of their, their different sites, but also on a lot of things. It's called Customer Relationship Management, parentheses, CRM, parentheses, giant Salesforce. So it's Customer Relationship Management, giant Salesforce. That phrase oh, is the, used oh, really? 2,190 times they're giant. doing a Google search. They're, they're, this is neuro-linguistic programming. They're, yeah. We're being programmed to think that Salesforce is just the, the runaway giant, no questions asked, winner, yeah. right? So I'm not, not necessarily, necessarily faulting them because, I mean, obviously, if you're in a company and you have something you want to announce, you definitely want the message to go out and you would prefer to control how that message is, is, is said, you know, what those words are, what those words are. Yep. So I'm not necessarily knocking them. I'm just, it just, just yeah. something that popped in my head and I was like, you know what? <laughs> There's plenty of people out there willing to parrot the information. Right. Well, I mean, everyone's just competing for content and, and access as well. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, hey, we have uh, new reviews, John. This is becoming a, a weekly segment. <laughs> I like that. Um, and these, oh, wow, I'm in some weird mode here. Have you used uh, Evernote's presentation mode? Yes. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I've got this. Uh, I little, never think to use it with a client because have, every, my, everything I do is indifferent. It's got like the sparkler thing. Yeah. <laughs> I sometimes have so I'm, I'm going to use that for a while now. All right, so the first one comes to us from a friend of the show, Shell Black. He says, more Yoshiki. <laughs> he says, I've listened to every episode, so I feel like I can leave a, I can leave a review. John and, or John and Jeremy have been in the Salesforce ecosystem for over a decade. Yes, we are old. They've seen it all. Configuration, development, Dreamforce, customers, partners, community, etc. They cut through the marketing hype, touch the product on a daily basis, talk to customers, and develop code on Salesforce to make a living. They cover technology in general. Oh, darn it. <laughs> There's more. I did a <laughs> screenshot, and I didn't click the more. Oh. <laughs> uh, vamp for me, John. I don't know how to vamp. <laughs> sure you do. I, I Tell do. it. Do you have a knock-knock joke? Um, I was going to do a where is Yoshiki now, but um, he hasn't tweeted anything recently, so. That's okay. <laughs> no, too late. That? All right. He says, they cover technology in general, but Salesforce is the main recurring theme. If you want marketing-infused, syrupy, sweet Salesforce messaging, this is not the podcast for you, clearly. If you want a balanced perspective on working on the platform, tune in. All right. Thanks for the f- review, Shell. That was, uh, that was good. Yeah, it was awesome. Appreciate it. Um, it reminds me, though. <laughs> he says, I, you know, John, he says, we develop on Salesforce to make a living, which, which reminds me, what a poor job I think we do of actually like, promoting ourselves. I think a lot of it is this, that you and I generally stay pretty busy. Yeah. But I, we should mention that every now and then. We, we, this is what we do. And uh, we're available for uh, Salesforce. <laughs> Mainly, what, you're not even listening. I you am are listening. Owning your, you're off here in your own world. I'm trying to promote you. I'm trying to get you some work here. <laughs> and you're... you're, you're <laughs> what are you doing? Like I'm, I'm forget. Okay, I'm, I'm going I'm, to the I'm, next review because I don't know. John is just he's lost in the internet. So okay, I'm, I'm going to go I'm to the next review. I'm on your Instagram. I'm trying right. to find. I'm, I'm playing. Okay. I'm playing. Okay. Where's Benioff? J- John's in his Instagram. In rat hole of all rat holes. Okay, I found him. So he's the next right review. There. I don't care where Yoshiki is. No, I he's weird. Benioff. Well, anytime you find Yoshiki, you're going to find Benioff, right? I, yeah, I was surprised. <laughs> I thought maybe there'd be a lot more Benioff in some of these pictures because I mean Yoshiki in in a Benioff picture. Like Benioff taking a picture and posting it, Yoshiki's somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, but it's not that it's not that's not mutual, apparently. Okay. Next review is from and this is awesome because 
<laughs> for what the guy says, but it's Evan Shrugged One is who it's from, and he says, an enjoyable time for all. I know that I have a high chance of getting on the podcast by giving a one or two star rating, but I can't. It's just too good. Well, he gave us a five star rating and he's still on the podcast. So there you go. This is the first Salesforce podcast that doesn't sound like it was produced by the Salesforce marketing slash PR department. The hosts are Salesforce experts and I learned something on every episode. Not sure we're experts. Maybe we are. <laughs> uh, but anyway, thanks, Evan. Evan shrugged one. The reviews really do help. They help people find us. So, yeah. you know, the people that, um, you know, I think would enjoy the show and resonate with kind of w what we talk about, it helps. Uh, there's a lot of people that don't even know about us. We're just, we still, compared to the Salesforce ecosystem, we are just, like, we touch an extremely small percentage of it. I know. And this it, helps. It, considering there's 3 million developers out there. Exactly. We, we, we should have, like, you know, like a 1% <laughs> of that at least. I know, exactly. <laughs> I mean, what, does no one listen to podcasts or what? <laughs> See, there's a bigger or is, issue. Or is the three million number bogus? <laughs> it might be a little of both. I don't know. You know, I'm finding more and more people do listen to podcasts, which is interesting. They, they at least have one podcast that they will listen to on occasion. More people are starting to ask me about it. Because they'll, they'll somehow, someone will tell them about podcasts and they'll say, Hey, Jeremy, you told me about podcasts a while back. Remember that? I'm like, yeah. How do I do, how do, I do that? I'm like, well, open up your iPhone. Go to this thing called Podcasts. And there it is. Yeah. Anyway. Cool. Um, Man, Yoshiki takes a lot of pictures with his shirt off. So I wanted to... Would you get off of Yoshiki? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Shell asked. It's his fault. Blame Shell. Um, uh, so I want to talk about the Maven's Mate thing and some alternatives. It's dun, been kind dun, of been, a, it's been going this week. I know. It's just... It's drama. not really drama. Well, I think it's drama for... I think I have that one. Oh, that's playing in the wrong place. That's playing on your computer, speakers. <laughs> um, can, can we do this segment not sober? We, you know what? Let's go ahead and... Uh, let's start that. Yeah, so... <laughs> we're going to do a... Uh, we're going to do a tasting. A bur this is a oh, bourbon tasting. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. I got I to gotta take this picture and put it on our... Slack community, see? See the advantages of the Slack community? If you if you join our Slack community, you get first-hand pictures of, of us being weirdos. <laughs> you need to, like, be know. right up here. So, you need to be, like, be right up next to it so your head's, like, peeking around. In the That's okay. <clears throat> so we have four new bourbons. Well, I mean, some of them are. We've had them before. We got the 1792... Elijah Craig, uh, John's Four Roses, and then a, what's the other one called? Basil Hayden? Yeah, Basil or Hayden. Basil, as the Brits would say. I don't know if I can get them all in the picture. What You know what? Back your phone up a little bit. Or turn it horizontal, John. No, because then you can't read turn it. Turn it landscape. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's teach John how to take a picture. <laughs> no. All right, so now you got a vamp while I post this. Um, well, let me ask you. I will vamp by asking you a question. Did you see this article, The Future of Apps, How Salesforce is Using Low-Code Development? Using low-code development? Salesforce is using low-code development? Or? Yeah, the, the title of the article is The Future of Apps, How Salesforce is Using Low-Code Development. I think it's the future of apps, John. Well, how they're using 
using they're not using low code tool development. They're saying that they're using the ability to provide low code uh, yes. development. Okay. And the subtitle is get this. A new App Cloud mobile suite blends all of Salesforce's developer tools into one mobile application pla- development platform. Did you know that Heroku is a uh, part of the one mobile application development platform? I know a lot of people develop it's, a lot it's of mobile weird, applications weird, on Heroku. They're really pushing, and, and they get everyone to reprint it just the way they want it. They're really pushing this idea that these things are like part of some, uh, you know, well-crafted, integrated system, and they're not. But anyway, they talk about John's completely ignoring me. He's just he's gone. While much of the fo- uh, focus on low-code development is on users as developers, these so-called citizen developers, they're only part of the story. Uh, but this person says, okay, it's also important to note that experienced developers and designers are key to delivering compelling tools to end users. The problem is, I, I don't know, I, th- I think in terms of solution development, if you have these tools available and you're all as a, as a team analyzing the requirements, or at least, you know, not, not in a waterfall fashion, but at least you know, for that particular feature that you're trying to implement and you're looking at it and you're being pragmatic about it and you're going, okay, yes, this is, this is a good fit for this low code tool, this point and click solution. This is a better fit for code. You know, if you're making all those, then I think these, all these tools are great and they can work well together. I think the problem is with, with the championing of, of low code that people are trying to do as much as they can with the low code, even stuff that probably should be code. Well, I mean, that goes just... Uh, I, I think people are starting to see... I'm seeing more and more... Sorry not to cut you off, but I'm seeing more and more people talk about issues with workflow, process builder, flow. You know, when as soon as they start building those things out and all the conflicts and everything that are happening with that, um, the effect it has on, on existing code, like triggers and things like that, that we've, we've had in place, and all of a sudden, someone throws up a new workflow with a new process builder, and it's breaking everything. Well, <clears throat> and so the... What was I going to say a minute ago? Oh, it goes back to me. It's just, you know, use the right tool for the job. Yeah. But it seems like this low code thing or point and click or whatever is being promoted as to the exclusion of everything else to the point that Salesforce developer conference, and I wasn't there, and I know they had some things about coding, whatever, but I mean, clearly the message, the message that makes it into the media, the message that makes it all over social media is all about the... It's, it basically excludes all actual actual software development. I mean, if you're clicking and dragging Lightning components, that, that that's cool. I mean, if you can create some you know new functionality that's just what your company needs by doing that, that's that's great. That's what that's what you should do, actually. Probably. I mean, if that's if that gives you what you need and the user experience that's needed, or if the user experience doesn't matter that much or whatever, then great. You should always, you know, use what's available versus building something new if it makes sense. It's like you know the buy versus build. Like, a, mm-hmm. I mean, I turn people away all the time who. I'm like, I don't think that you should build something. <laughs> Some <laughs> companies just can't handle building software. They don't, it's not part of their, it's not part of their culture. They don't have the, that kind of experience. They really shouldn't be building software. Um, and so in that case, I mean, a lot of these, whether it's Salesforce or many other things, these, some of these low-code things. Make, there's other low-code platforms too. What was the one that we were looking at or I looked at, told you about a, a couple months ago? It was, it was quite similar to Salesforce, except it ran, it was kind of cool. It was basically a low-code, it's, it's the equivalent of, like, think of the role that Force.com plays. Mm-hmm. Like, um, 
like a platform license, I guess. How that's stripped down to, you know, it doesn't come with a CRM. That's what this system kind of was, except when, the way you extended it was you could either do .NET or Java. Hmm. And, you know, so, but, can it, but it comes out, it comes with these, you know, the idea of like, you know, objects, which are kind of like database tables, um, <clears throat> screen builders, which are kind of like page layouts and those kind of things. But the way you really customize it was, again, you picked whether you wanted to do Java or .NET. Right. It looked very cool. Um, I don't remember that. You probably but that, did. That's, but a, I don't that's a similar, you know, one of these low, <laughs> you know, just like a low code thing. Um, but no, here and again, it's, it's great how Salesforce gets everyone to to print this stuff. App Cloud Mobile is a mobile app focused set of tools with a mix of target audiences that add up to a way of building front and back end tools that work with Salesforce's data platform and APIs while taking advantage of the Heroku platform as a service. Like, you never work, that's never the way things work. I mean, God, what are you doing, John? Should we just stop? No. You're gone. Keep going. You're just I'm gone. There. I'm here. No, you're not. What are you reading? Tell me what you're on right now. I was trying to find the article you're on because I think I read that. <clears throat> I, th- I thought I had it in my notes, so I was clicking my notes. Anyway, uh, you said something a minute ago, which reminded me that I'm getting more and more calls from admins who have gotten themselves completely hosed with in production with mm-hmm. processes yeah and it you know this this is where it's and i've talked about this for a while how there's you there's a line that at some point you're going to cross right you might start out with a especially if it's a smaller company or a company that's like a certain department has just decided to kind of go rogue and get in you know buy salesforce right mm-hmm. and you start off with just the standard customization typical admin stuff maybe some workflows or whatever but now, without doing any coding, you can start doing things like, um, well, workflow was kind of like that, but now you've got um, flows and, and process builder. Right. And you can um, <laughs> you can really get these things uh, fighting each other and conflicting and running in undetermined into, you know, orders and you don't get good error messages. And, and, it's, and What's what's even worse is if you do already have like a bunch of Apex code and triggers or whatever, right? Because then these things, it's just it turns into this, you know, big bowl of spaghetti that it's extremely difficult to find out what the hell is actually happening. And often it's happening in production because they're just activating things in production. And you know, then it gets to like, okay, well, fine, we'll we'll you know de- deactivate some certain trigger or whatever. But then you find out you can't if, because everything's failing. You can't actually get any kind of um, metadata deployment to to go through because stuff's broken. But you can at least deactivate the flow. You can deactivate, well, you can. Well, you, you can. But then the question, then the, some, for some companies that's a problem because if you deactivate flows, you've, you've actually just, in addition, your things are definitely broken then. Right. Like there's some, you know, it becomes a thing like if you deactivate these flows, then you're going to be getting corrupt data because your flows aren't running. So should you just shut Salesforce down and fix it? Turn everyone's access off? So you get it figured out. I mean, this is the situation that people are finding themselves in. And is that because they kind of did a big bang deployment or? No, it's because they don't know how to build software. They don't, you know, they don't understand data architectures and recursion and, and, um. But in, in that process, uh, so take this scenario where you're deploying something, it breaks something. It, I know it's not easy to back something out, but it can be done. Was it just not a small enough piece of functionality or it had existed 
for a certain well, n- amount of time well, before the issue well, was discovered. Know. It depends on which which case you're talking about. I mean, I, the one I saw <clears throat> this week was they could have deactivated the flows. But the problem is, is they really need those flows to not be deactivated. It's creating, there's, it's a fairly high transaction org. So was the flow doing too much? It was just one too big of a flow? No, no. I mean, I don't, I don't know what you mean by too big. There were, there's a lot of flows. And I think the problem ended up being some, something about the order they were running in or something. But it's just, mm. it's, it's, again, the flows are still immature. And I say flows, I think it was processes, whatever. These are still, you know, the, the tools for them, the, the, you know, monitoring and logging and, and error messages for these things are still not great. And there's, and the, there's also, they're also quite buggy. Like when I was helping this person, like we came across like two just things that I'm pretty sure were bugs in, mm-hmm. in the platform. So, you know. Do you, I mean, I don't, I don't know that there's going to be a, any kind of maturation, is that the word? Yeah, I much Mature or mature? Maturation. Maturation. Maturing. <laughs> I'm stuttering. Uh, I don't know if there's going to be any any kind of movement on those anytime soon. I mean, they're focused on enabling lightning features, I know. and those kind of are back in. Well, that's why the the platform, <clears throat> the Salesforce platform itself, has just, and particularly the developer tools and developer experience has has been stagnant for years. And isn't, I mean, it literally isn't, has not gotten better in years. Isn't Process Builder based on Flows? And Flows has been around for a while, and it, it hasn't seen much love either. I, I got into it the other day because. Because I needed to, because someone had built one, and I had to go in and modify some things, and it was ugly. Yeah, see, I, I just it had some flash dependencies too in there. I don't, I don't know if maybe it's the um, UI. Well, didn't they? They bought the process. Is it based? they bought they bought flows? Wasn't that the third party thing? Yeah, I think so. And then processes are f- technically flows. Yeah. However, that works. Yeah, they're sitting on top of the flow architecture, but there's still there's still some Salesforce code in there. I don't know. Yeah, and in in orgs that I work in, where we already have a lot of code, we're talking, you know, probably fifty thousand lines of Apex. Um, we don't do, we don't even do processes or flows. We already have, we already have triggers and workflow, and that's that's complex enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, sit down and figure out what the order of all triggers and and flows is, and how one can trigger, you know, how one of them can basically re-trigger the other, and it's it gets it's actually very complicated. Yeah. And there's scenarios that get really difficult to understand what's actually happening and why it's happening. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a <clears throat> very common practice for me to put a kill switch in my trigger's execution. Trigger execution. So what do you, I mean, this is something I still struggle with on giving advice because some, the, the thing that, you know, some of these admins will say is, well, this is, this is what I, this is all I know how to do. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's fine. And it goes back to like, I don't think I finished my thought on this. There's some line that you cross and you're, in the org maturity model of, of Salesforce, where you really should start treating this as a as a software development project and not just something that you go clickety clackety around into, you know, anytime someone asks for something, you just oh I'll, no problem, I'll you know I'll add some workflow and drop that in and do an update and then add this you know custom uh, this required field or whatever. You really have to change how you do things, and you have to start. You have to grow up, and you have to treat it like a software development project. There needs to be a process. And it doesn't, doesn't mean it can't be flexible or it can't be fast or it can't be frequent. It should. You know, I'm all about agile and frequent releases and mm-hmm. even, even continuous delivery. 
you can do all that stuff. It's, you know, not as good as it is on other systems, but you, you can do it. It's not as fast, but it can be done. Um, and that's, you know, and again, it's like a maturity model that you go through, but it's hard to, here's the problem with that line. It's hard to know when you've crossed it. It's hard to know, especially when, you know, you just know what you know, and you've, you've organically grown an org over time. <clears throat> and the other thing is you need to think about far before you even get there, like what, based on our current business plans, do we think we're going to reach some level of complexity where we should really start planning that now and start skilling up on or recruiting or whatever for people who can treat this like a software development project, who do know how to write you know, quality code um, and start doing that now so that we don't find ourselves in a situation where we've got dozens or hundreds of workflow and processes and flows that basically have to be all dismantled and re-implemented in a better way. Yeah, I think, I think it's that's like, kind you know, of... You can pay me now or pay me later, right? Yeah, but I think that's kind of being, being kind of like a, a fortune teller if you, can, if you can make that type of decision. And that, this is, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, I don't have an answer to that. I mean... It's... I think the first scenario you described is more likely where you've kind of added things over time and, and as time goes on, it gets worse and worse. It's kind of the... What is, what is the saying? The, the frog boil, boiling a water... Frog in water... <laughs> Like if, if right. you slowly start boiling, a frog. boiling, boiling <laughs> yeah. If you boil a frog, you slowly start the water that never knows it or something. Because yep. So no, that's actually a, that's a good metaphor because again, it's like when do you cross that line? Well, I tell you when you know when you know you crossed it a while back is when you <clears throat> is when you're getting into these situations where you're having basically production downtime and things not working and you're you know you're up late at night trying to figure out how to fix your processes or add this new. You know, add some new feature that should have been something simple, but it's just making your your processes and your workflows go haywire. Right. That's when you know you cross that line somewhere back, somewhere a while back. <laughs> <laughs> it's invisible. That's what sucks about it. <laughs> well, um, well, I mean, fixing it isn't easier. Isn't easy either. It, it, no, it's not. I mean, because it, I've, I've had customers, and, and what's your take on this? It, you know, when when a customer gets themselves to a point where the org is just really messed up. And they have two options in front of them, be- mainly because, you know, for whatever reason, the first option is go in, fix everything, go through the painful process of understanding, decoupling things and, and putting ba- things back in, and then just moving forward with it, you know, and keep, keep cleaning it up as you move forward. Then there's the other option, which is just start over. Let's get, like a, new new ins- let's get a new instance mm-hmm. and let's just, you know... Let's hire, let's bring in some people to kind of configure this and, and hope we didn't miss anything when, when we do this cutover and then do the whole data migration and, you know, but we'll, we'll start with a brand new, fresh, clean org and everything will be awesome. What is your opinion on that? Well, um, if, if Salesforce is anything like, um, normal software development, um, I saw a study recently, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it showed that when companies faced a situation where they had a really bad code base and should they either fix it or should they just start over? Um, basically, the result of the study was it's almost, almost, almost always better to start over. Hmm. It seems it's, it's the answer you don't want to hear as a business manager that you're going to have to start over. Um, but it ends up being, uh, by the data anyway, uh, you, better outcomes. You've got a better chance of success. And I can tell you from the some of the rescue products I've been presented with, they've been, you know, n- no brainer. It's just not a question. This must be, this must start from scratch. So, so what's that line where you say, you know what, this is unfixable? I don't know that I've ever seen an org that was unfixable. 
um, it's difficult. It can be very yeah. difficult. And that's when you, that's when you're, <clears throat> you know, your, your Salesforce uh, metadata foo really can, I mean, you have to be like a, you know, grand wizard at that stuff um, to be able to manipulate a Salesforce org that's big like that, that's got mm-hmm. um, a lot of issues because you basically have to do kind of, it's got to keep operating. That's the thing. It can't, it, it can't go down. That's not your option. <laughs> right. Right. You have to slowly because and and again, you there's no such thing as a working build when you work in a Salesforce org because this exact set of bits may deploy to this org, but not that one. May deploy to your sandbox org, but not to production because it's not taking you can't take you can't say, Hey Salesforce, here's my build, take it. No, you have to right. you have to just diff it to get it to and whittle it to get it this the place you want. And that's where that's where those skills really come in, and you just have to, you know, I think do it a little bit at a time. Yeah, I, I think I'm. I think this, this is where the disadvantage. I mean, I know Salesforce is cloud, and they talk about the advantage, but this is really where I mean the disadvantages start really rearing their ugly heads and become very apparent. It's much harder. I mean, it, just the topic of refactoring the Salesforce code base. It's just incredibly difficult. Yeah, you know. End up creating a bunch of duplicates just to it's like, move you know, things around, or you get that weird dependency whenever you have a reference to something and you're trying to refactor or rename something, and you get it just won't update until you remove all the dependencies first, and then make your change, and then go back in and put them back in. And if if it's new code or it's code in just a couple of classes or, or you know this one module that you're working in, not that bad. But whenever you create a dependency and that gets propagated, and other people have been using it, it gets more difficult. Yeah. This is like, you know, Salesforce may win the zero to 60 race, but then the car blows up and the, you know, the Ferrari continues on at 220 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so that you're saying that the underdog that wins the race, but still doesn't get the girl. <laughs> I guess something like that. I don't know. I think we've <laughs> successfully mixed our metaphors here. <laughs> All right. We, you know why? Not, Cause I need this. We, I, I, I say, need this. This, we have a serious the problem sucks here. without this. <laughs> <laughs> well, Harry. Let's do the Basil Hayden's first. Okay, let's start with that. So that's supposedly I just read about that. I, I don't because I don't think I've ever had it. That is by the Beam Jim Beam family of companies, <clears throat> and it's supposedly their lightest bourbon. Their it's, lightest. It's only bourbon? eighty proof. It, it is a light color. It is, and uh, my I had, but it's not a lot cheap. Of water. So. Trying, trying yeah, to do the hand. It's off. not cheap, so I, I think it's supposed to be good. I don't really read reviews, so I'm going to do the water method. I had a bunch of water in mine. I don't. I don't like the. I don't like. I don't want to chill it down with ice. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, Jeremy's uh, going to be a professional taster here. What do you think? It's good. It's um definitely on the lighter side. I, I get that. Um, I want to say kind of like a sweet, almost vanilla on it. What's what's a good bourbon review website? I have no idea. <clears throat> Isn't it Master of Malt or something like that? You would think with all the uh, with my love, 
for whiskeys. <laughs> I would know a lot I'm more right, about it should. than I do, but really, I'm I'm the guy that just sits back in my office and goes, you know, what? I need something. I'll, I'll pour a nice little glass. I'll treat it with respect. I'll, I'll either just a little bit of water if I'm really <laughs> trying to taste something, or you know, I have my block of ice to kind of reduce the the uh, dilution, um, and of, I'll enjoy it. But I don't um, I don't nerd out about it. It's fruity, but now I'm getting more like chocolate or or dark sugar or dark candy. You know, it's funny, on this taste, I got a little bit of leather. Hmm. So it's changing on me. Yeah, this, this I'm looking at a review, they give it an 83, which sounds low, but... Supposedly, it used to be eight years old. Mm-hmm. But then they removed their age statement, so some people are saying it's probably closer to six now. <clears throat> that's not bad, though, because, I mean, most, a lot of bourbons are two years. That's That's the statutory requirement. To, in order to call it bourbon. Uh, this person says it's nothing, it's really nothing more than a better expression of old granddad 80 in a fancier bottle. And to be honest, it's not worth a 3x price difference. 63% corn, 27% rye, 10% malted barley. <clears throat> I always like to look at the breakdown of the, the grain bill. Mm-hmm. Because some of these bourbons are actually have a very high rye component, like in the 40s, like I mean, it can be 45 percent, um, which really gets it almost up into becoming a rye. Because as soon as you hit 51 percent, then you can call it a rye, a rye whiskey. So that there's actually going to be very little difference in a bourbon and a rye in terms of the rye component. That makes sense because there there are a lot of ryes I have that I'm like I can't tell the difference. Really? Yeah. And sometimes if the barrel action is real strong on it, it because rye is spicy. I mean, it's going to give a there are different spicy flavors. Almost like Which food is actually spice. something I don't like. I don't drink a lot of rye because I, I don't like a lot of that heavy spice hmm. component to it. Like Makers, my, my first taste of Makers, maybe I should try it again, but it had that heavy spice note and I was like, I don't like this. But the world seems to be in love with Makers for some reason. It's it's good and inexpensive. Um, and I'd I never noticed that about makers. You know, um, this is good and inexpensive. What Jack. Is that? <clears throat> <laughs> oh yeah, the you can get a gallon of it for like ten bucks. <laughs> so makers has an. It's actually unusual in the fact that it has no rye. Um, but it's, but it's wheated, so it's a wheated bourbon. Which brings me to one of my rant topics, which is all the damn pappy nerds have screwed up my favorite wheated bourbon that I can't get me, get anymore. It was like 18 bucks for a, yeah, well or 12 year. It used to be like 18 bucks. And I, I think most stores, the distribution, they've, they've tried to limp, keep the price where it, close to where it was. But you can't, the problem is you can't get it now because these jerks figured out that well or 12 year is basically just the bottles that old Van Winkle decided not to select for Pappies. Hmm. Sorry, not the bottles, the barrels. They yeah. decided not to select. But that, I mean, that's with everything. I mean, uh, I we were talking about the Angel's Envy, which was kind of one of my favorite kind of lower cost, really light whiskeys that I, I would have on a regular basis. It, 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 that, it was it never started, cheap, though. Well, I mean, it was, it was, it was, always, it was it, about 20, 25 bucks when it started. I've never seen non -rye, it. Non-rye. Really? Non-rye. Uh, you sure it wasn't in the 30s? Yeah. Okay. I remember buying it a long time ago. <clears throat> and, um, oh, maybe I got it on special. I don't know, because they were pushing it pretty heavily, and that's when I first tried it. And it wasn't that expensive, and now it's upwards, almost close to forty. Wow. 
Oh, and the Rye, well, the Angel Envy Rye, which was really popular when it came out, it went off the shelves, and accordingly, they raised the price up to 70 Sure. I, I was never... A, I mean, it, there's something about Angel's Envy that I do like, but overall, it's... I think the... what kind of, They use some kind of weird barrels, right? Port? Is it port, bar, yeah. port wine? Yeah. I just... I don't know. <clears throat> it's... It's just too much for me. It's too a little too strange, but whatever. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about <clears throat> Maven's Mate. <clears throat> so I've used Maven's Mate for a, at least a couple of years now, I would say, I guess. Yeah, I mean, um, probably two or three years. I don't know. I don't know how long it's been around. I feel like I've been using it for a long time, for multiple yeah. years. Maybe so. And I, I've always been, I, I would say, um, I really only have used parts of it because I'm, I've just got all these kind of <clears throat> home built tools that I use to do things like um, pulling subsets or sets of metadata down and pushing certain things up and um, automated stuff file system watchers to certain trigger certain things if I want to. I've always had my own thing that built static resources, so I never used that part of it. There's just lots of, I mean, and it gets gotten to where, and I would say in the past year or so, really the only thing I think I do with Maven's Mate is I would use it, like if I wanted to create a new Apex class or Visual Force page, it's just really easy for me to do like new Apex class, and I would do it that way. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because it creates basically like a skeleton files in the, in right. the metadata file. And um, and then I would use it. Sometimes I'd use the test runner to run run tests or whatever. But even that was kind of annoying because it didn't. Um, it's, the logging seemed not to work right. I, I don't know. But that's. Well, I think they've improved the logging in the latest version. Um, I think they did too, actually, because before you couldn't. It didn't support the. So at some point they they changed. The, they added more granular options on how you could set log logging levels. What do they call them? Trace flags, I guess. Yeah. <clears throat> And I think they do. I think Mavis Mate does support that pretty well now. But for a while, it was weird. And some of my some of my other tools I use, they they still don't support that, which is kind of annoying. But but anyway, yeah, that's so my my usage of Mavis Mate became somewhat minimized because I never used it to like create new projects or to pull all metadata or any any of that kind of stuff. Um, what else does it do? Oh yeah, it does the bun the static static resource bundling? I guess yeah, it does that. But anyway, um, and then they had the kind of the snafu where they went from version four to version five, and it's like we got upgraded automatically, or something happened. I think the package control automatically updated my Maven's Mate, and then I had to go install the Maven's Mate app because for version five, you had to have the separate Maven's Mate app running, mm-hmm. like resonant and running. Right. <clears throat> so I thought, okay, well, okay, whatever. So I downloaded the app and installed that. And immediately, like you know, settings didn't didn't keep right. There was all kinds of problems with it, and so I don't rem- I don't remember because that was a while back. That was that was last year. Um, so they immediately did a thing where they re- released a version six, which you would because it was a bigger version number, <clears throat> package control and Sublime would would upgrade you to that. But it was actually just a re-pa- repackaged version four. So that was a way to get you back on four because five was such a disaster. I don't, I don't, it's kind of weird because and then I remember, they came out with seven, which was actually five, but they put seven, <laughs> they put seven in the, like the pre-release track on Sublime so that no one would get automatically updated to it. And so seven is still in that mode of it's not released. Mm. It's still point ten, and it's the version and it's still on the release track and you still have to manually go and say, yes, I want to do, I want to be on the pre-release track. You do something in Sublime and, <clears throat> and you can get it. Well, okay, so the problem is this week, 
um, or maybe it was, was it this week or was it with summer? I can't remember. I think it was actually this week. It was not necessarily something with summer. Um, all right, let me back up. So for a while, there's been a critical, what do they call them? Critical updates in Salesforce, critical notifications. Mm-hmm. And one of them is uh, TLS 1.0 is going to be disabled. Right. And of course, everyone's just been, you know, putting that off. Yeah. Because so many of these tools speak TLS 1.0 still. And so I've been doing that. Um, I remember, I think it was when, maybe it was when Summer was released to my sandbox. It, it automatically came with TLS 1.0 disabled. And so I was like, crap, what's going on? Because I think I got a message in Maven's mate. And so I went and un, you know, rolled back that critical update and it was fine. Well, now in sandboxes, there's no option for TLS 1.0. It's, it's off. So you basically can't use Maven's mate unless you upgrade to 7. Mm-hmm. So I upgraded to 7. But it still has the same problems that it had before, and it, it turns out it hasn't been touched. I mean, actually, there have been, I looked at the, in GitHub, and there, there's been many commits to the project and issues resolved, but they haven't released, it hasn't gotten to the point where they've released a new version of it yet. It's still in that, that version that yeah. I installed last year is, is, a, is the, still the current version. There's been revisions to it, but minor. They haven't released, they have not released a version yet. I mean, if you want to, if you want to go pull yeah, trunk and build from that and build your own, sure. But they actually, go look at the released version. Go look at releases on the GitHub page. It's hmm. from October 2015. It's .10. Um, but I was running into all kinds of problems. Uh, just, it's just, just buggy. It's not ready at all. I thought, I thought well, okay. I'm, you have more problems with it than I do. I, I probably, mean, I, I, think I, I guess I do have some issues, but I, I kind of, I understand <laughs> I understand it's free and it helps me get 90% of what I need to get done done. Well, so what problem was I having with it? Um, Plus, I, I, it, use, it I just, use Atom with mine. I don't use Sublime. I yeah, use Atom I, with mine. I don't, know if, I don't know if the Atom plugin works better than the Sublime plugin does. I, don't, I really have no oh. idea because I don't use Atom. I don't think so. Um, no, but it was, um, what the problem? Oh, it, it was, I don't know. I'm just getting all kinds of metadata errors and I was asking around and no one, you know, I tried some things that people suggested nothing worked. I'm like, okay, whatever. I don't have, I don't have time. I'm not going to invest a bunch of time in trying to figure out why Maven's Mate is doing this mm-hmm. because it's not so. And in fact, uh, what well, the guy that developed it just came out and said, I'm not going to be working on this. I'm basically abandoning it for the time being. So I thought, well, I'm not. I'm certainly not going to. I don't have time to mess with that. So I um, started looking around because um, I, do, I do like, you know, it'd be nice to have something with like basic code completion or whatever. And so I went and looked at um, the Welkins because that or that popped in my head because they were at Dreamforce and I thought Windows oh, only. it's Windows only. Yeah. It looks okay. Um, but then I found uh, I went and then I went to Illuminated Cloud, and mm-hmm. so that's what I'm. That's the uh, IntelliJ plugin. It's an IntelliJ yeah. plugin. And by the way, I think the Welkins is like built on the Visual Studio platform. I, I guess. think so. Yeah. I mean, it looks like Visual Studio, and if not, it, I mean it's it's got a bunch of Visual Studio like components that mm-hmm. it's leveraging. Um, the uh, brain, brain Brain engine, they, brain engine? They, they, I think they kind of did the same approach they built it I think it's cross platforms you can use it on, on Mac but I think the component suite they used was heavily influenced by Visual Studio I still haven't looked at Brain Engine something about it just I, yeah I, I just I don't like that Visual Studio look for whatever reason uh, I, I prefer more of a clean text editor type look and feel to mine I really liked Adam and Sublime with the um, kind of internal command line interface that they had which I used a lot and really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, I do I, understand why people are picking these IDEs to build on them. That's because they do have built-in support for, um, co- you know, basically world-class, like code completion, right. refactoring, all that kind of stuff. You just have to write your plugins 
for it, basically. Right. So I checked out an illuminated cloud. Now it's um, <clears throat> it it costs money, which is fine. I'm I'm reviewing it right now to see if it'll work for me. Um, installed really quickly. It's it's a it's a plugin available on the in the JetBrains plugin repository. So that was super easy. All right. And I connected it to an org that I'm working on, and it took it took like 20 minutes actually to download. I did like a full metadata download because I told it to just get everything. Full metadata download, and and then it had to you know index all the stuff and build all this because that's the again, that's the way Salesforce works. I think it's just what you have to deal with with the way yeah. this, the way this tooling API works. It's cumbersome and it, it's not it's not exactly optimized compared to other platforms you may be used to. Um, but once this twenty minutes was done, I got I got it opened up this like diff screen, and on the one hand side it's like you know basically everything in this org, and the other hand side it's completely blank. I thought, well, I don't I, I don't really want to diff right now, so I close that, thinking I'm gonna okay now I'm in the project, and I open up the source tree, and it's completely empty. Well, it turns out what I was supposed to do, even though there was nothing on the screen that says this, is you now need, basically just need to accept accept one hundred percent this diff, mm. and that's how it actually gets into your source tree. So okay, had I known that, that would have been a better, a little bit of a better experience. But I was able to figure out how to how to um, you can basically just go into the project and do retrieve metadata, and it just gets all the latest metadata and gives you that diff screen again. And I just moved everything over. But once I got in, I mean the the code completion works really well. Like you can do, you know, let's you have a reference to a contact in Apex. You can do contact dot account. Dot opportunity dot what I mean it follows it understands the full hierarchy and it's it's all it's it's fast and it's not wrong it's like a, you know it's an it's immediate um it show the testing looks really cool so they they plugged into I mean they it seems like they've done a pretty good job of plugging into all the existing IntelliJ facilities mm-hmm. so whether it's the code completion or te- unit testing or um, all this other you know whatever it's they've they've plugged into it in a in a way that if you are an IntelliJ user. Um, you know, it's going to be very familiar to you. Like it's right. basically the same. It works the same way if it was a Java project. So it was pretty nice. Um, well, let me look at some of my other notes here. Um, oh, so the, one of the first things I did was I tried to run it. I ran a test, and it, it just was basically. It didn't even say it was finished. It just it the spinners would were still spinning, but it said it was done or something. I'm like, well, this is not good. And so I uh, I looked in the I found the IntelliJ log file. I looked in there, and sure enough, there's a dependent class is invalid. This Apex compiling message. Right. What I would have hoped that this IntelliJ or what's it called, Illuminated Cloud would have done is show me that error message, but it didn't. It's like so that's a bug, and you know it, this is still very buggy. This software is very buggy. Right. The but question, you're able to kind of go in and is, see that. Is it good enough? And I and so I, I mean the short answer to this story is I don't know whether it's good enough because I'm only it's been like 24 hours since I installed it. And I really haven't had a chance to do that much yet with it because I'm what I'm working on right now is a, it's kind of a mess. Um, but yeah, so <clears throat> it, it went tried to run the test, but it got that message that you know there's some kind of dependent class that's invalid, and it just didn't show that to me. Yeah, and I had to go dig around in the in the in the IDE's log file to find that. Um, but one thing that I like about this versus the Maven's Mate model is you can basically put your <clears throat> your source tree wherever you want, whereas Maven Mate wants every all your projects, and as consultants, that's a that's a real pain because you have could have dozens of projects, right? Right. Got to be now. I know, and you, you know, you can sim link them, so you can actually put your, you know, you can put have wherever you want your document folder with a, cl- you know, and then your clients and your documents folder, and you can, and then you know, have a folder for your code or your you know, whatever, and then sim link that into your Maven's Mate folder. I, I know, 
but it's still, I just didn't like that idea. And so with this, obviously, you don't, you don't have that restriction. Um, but yeah, I mean, the way you can run tests, it's, it's really nice because you can either just say, hey, run all tests, and there's, there are defaults for like the, all the logging levels for, that your tests are run with. So, you know, because sometimes if you, like, so let's say you're only looking for, you just want to see if there's like some error that you can basically just set everything to warn, right? And it's, you only right. want to see errors. Um, but you can also, you know, you can click on a, a specific, you know, uh, test class and run that test, or you can test individual methods, which is a thing that the tooling API had support for a long time ago, but things, a lot of tools still don't support that. You can run individual ones. Um, I had another, I had another lo- uh, bug though, which is, and it started, I didn't have this yesterday. It's only today. When I run the, when I run tests, I don't get the log output. And so there's like this, there's a test, I guess, panel, like a doc panel, and it's got a little output window in it. Mm-hmm. And that's where when the test is done, the output is put there. And I'm not getting any output whatsoever. And sure enough, in the IntelliJ log file, I go look and it's setting some, it's setting the, you know, when you create trace flags, you, you can create a, you, you have to set a start date and an end date for how long you want that to last. Right. And then it can only be 24 hours out. And it's, it's, Salesforce is throwing an error because whatever date it's picking is too far out. And so I'm not getting, I guess the test is running. Because it, yeah. it it is it is showing me that, that that they're running and they're you know they're 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 all the tests are passing. I just get no log whatsoever. Which in this case I I don't actually I don't care that it's passing. I know it passes. I'm what I'm trying to do is improve efficiencies on how all the like, this is a situation where there's tons of triggers and some of them poorly written and tons of workflow and they're all just bouncing off of each other and hitting limits. Right. And so I really want actually access to all those logs so I can see what's happening. I don't I know it's passing, but I need to see what's happening. And so that bugs there. But, um, you know, some of the complaints I saw what, just in the, in the Slack, people were talking about it, is that the memory usage is just out of control and it's slow and everything. And I, I kept looking at memory usage and it never got above a gig. Like last time I looked, it was at 890 meg, which I don't know, maybe a lot, but my mail app is two gig and Chrome was, Chrome is four gig. I'm like, I don't know. It's actually for how, if for being a full featured, powerful, modern IDE, like IntelliJ or Visual Studio or Eclipse, whatever, it, it's definitely in the ballpark. So, but with this solution, you're actually going to incur double the cost, or, or not double the cost, but you're you're paying for IntelliJ and you're paying for the for the uh, plugin, right? Oh, you mean like license wise? Yeah, I guess. I mean, you don't have to. You can use IntelliJ's free. Mm. We'll we'll run this their community edition. I actually already have until I have a, a like a perpetual license to IntelliJ, or um, no, I don't. They switch to subscription model really controversial as as that always is <laughs> but they i think they, overall they actually handled it pretty well but it's um yeah so, so you so just you think, pay once a do year you think kind of maven's mate kind of maybe getting pushed more into the background as a, as a free alternative tool that might actually boost some sales for for other ides it might and i, I mean i like to think that it does and this this always reminds me of like damn i should just build I should just build one of these and do a better job of it than well, we've talked else. about it, but we've also kind of tempered us and said developers don't pay for tools. Exactly. I mean, how many name how many developers you know that use Illuminated Cloud or pay for some kind of any kind of Salesforce tooling, third party tooling? But we should. And I'm asking I mean, you to I, name. No, I'm asking you to name me. How many people could you name? Not you don't have to give names, but how many people could you name? I don't know. I mean, I pay for my Visual Studio license. I pay for. I'm not uh, asking you. It's not. It's not about you, John. I'm not asking about you. I know I just, you pay for things. I do pay for and things, and I know you would be willing if there was a good Salesforce yes. idea. I know you'd be willing to pay for it. I would, but I just think, and I would too. But I, I think we're in the minority here. 
I, for it, me, it's my profession. It's it's my tools. It's it's like you know, is is Tiger Woods going to go out and get some free off the shelf clubs, or is he going to spend some money on his clubs because that's his tool? I, I, and it's the mentality. P, for some reason, it's a developer thing. And, and this, I know, this is painting with a broad brush, but there's this developers are well known for not wanting to pay for things. They like everything to be for free. And also these employers, it's like they're scared to go ask for a sixty dollar license, but their employees are okay with like a basically a. To- I mean, it basically costs ten grand to send someone to Dreamforce for a week. And they're okay with that, <laughs> but not the sixty dollar license that would you know make your life much better and much more you know efficient. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, my, my my the other thing is I think there's a case for for Salesforce tooling to actually cost money. It's not like, you know, a Java IDE where maybe you're doing bug fixes and things like that, but the tooling itself, the Java runtime and things, isn't changing every every th- three times or four times a year. No, and when it does change, it's, it's very evolutionary. It, it is, right? right. There's some backwards compatibility there. Or not backwards, but there, I mean, you, you know everything that's changing. It's, it's kind of... It's the right word I'm trying to say. E- either way, it's not, it's not like Salesforce where the versions are actually, you know, they can be really big, they can be really small, they can have a lot of big time effect um, on, on how you do things, how you interact with it. There's, there's new features being rolled into it that are not, they don't follow the same pattern. Uh, you noticed it today, if you want to talk about that, the, the whole, the, all the new metadata stuff that was in the latest release, or, or at least since you last updated, that used IDs instead of names for well, that's for just fields. a bug. Well, let's talk about that, because that's the next on my list. I'd, and So I'm not sure that I have much more to say. Let me look here. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, like I said, the, the IntelliSense worked quite well. I was very happy with that. And of course, I'm, I'm not IntelliJ itself. Here's the other thing, because I'm very familiar with IntelliJ. You know, if I can do my Salesforce work in IntelliJ, I'm a, I'm a happy man. Because, and as with, you know, I mean, I know there's other powerful IDs, you know, Visual Studio or whatever, that have, um, they're great at it. The editor itself, and because, you know, you, you, I know it's just an editor, but you can't underestimate how important and how valuable a powerful editor can be. I mean, if you ever looked at someone who just was like a VI master, I mean, they they would even blow me away, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm dangerous with VI, but these guys who are like an Emacs or VI, or even a you know IntelliJ or Visual Studio, the like, just you know grandmasters. I mean, they can they can move around and edit files faster than you can see what they're doing. Was that still in your ear? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. You know what I'm saying though. Yeah. So I mean, it, really, for for a really pro- if you want to be a really productive developer, you need to be really good with your tools. And an editor is probably you know tool number one. And IntelliJ's editor is just great. It's extremely configurable. They have these things I can't remember the name of them, but they're basically how you define what code styles you want, and you can have a you know, and it's it really supports like every type of code style you can imagine. Um, yeah. But I think for me, it wasn't so much the tool. I mean, all that stuff is kind of nice, but I got to a point where I really wanted to go back to being extremely minimal. And in fact, the whole reason I found Maven's Mate was because I decided, I started out with, um, Sublime is based on something else. Um, is it Emac? I I thought Sublime was kind of ground up. No, um, <laughs> it started, it, it, it might have been ground up, but it, it um, gained inception from something else. Um, it's the fruit, text editor of the fruit logo. Oh, um, that was the free version of. Oh, I know what you're talking about. I used to use that. Yeah, um, it's like a strawberry. Yeah, I forgot what that was, but that's what I started with in terms of text editor, and then I found Sublime, which I think either was a fork of that project or something else. It was a text it, wrangler, was it? 
No. Because that's, that's the free version of BB, BB Edit. Right, I yeah. I have Text Wrangler, but, and I've tried using Text Wrangler, but it wasn't enough for me. Um, and then I went to Sublime, and I found the tooling there, and I liked that. And then, of course, recently I switched to Atom, but that's how I ended up with Maven's Mate, because I started using Sublime, and then found out there's a plugin for Salesforce development that goes into Sublime. I was like, oh, awesome, let's, let's start using this. Yeah. Um, but at the time, I was, I was really, I looked around, wasn't finding anything. Of course, this was a number of years ago. And I decided, well, I'm just going to stick to text editing because I can't stand Eclipse anymore. It just, and it wasn't Eclipse. I mean, I have to, I have to qualify that because Eclipse actually isn't all that bad for Java and all that kind of stuff. But when it came to the Salesforce stuff and the way they implemented the plugin, it was just horrible. The Salesforce plugin for Eclipse made Eclipse look terrible. Yeah. Yeah. It made it look slow. It made it look buggy. It made it look, it just. And, and Eclipse is a, a, I, I have to give it some credit. It is a complex, and not necessarily in a bad way, but in some ways a bad way. It's a complex and very capable, and it's a very capable, uh, complex piece of software. There's a lot you can do with it. It's probably the big, it's the, it is without a doubt, the biggest platform for developing, you know, functionality tools and things on. Yeah. Um, but because it tried to be everyone to everyone, and what what are the, what what's the what was their tag on? I think they even removed this because they it actually they started getting a bad rap for it. They it was called and their tagline was um something about the best tool that's good at nothing in particular or something like that. Mm. <laughs> the best or the best tool for nothing in particular. And it was and yes, their one of their big early on use cases was the Java plugin for it, and that was probably driving a lot of the functionality right. in the platform itself. But still, I mean. Their focus was this this platform that is completely generic in terms of what you can build on it, and it just you know there's you know there was all the different builds that you never knew which build to get. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. And and just the plugins honestly were kind of a disaster. Um, getting them to work right, getting like getting all the dependencies. Yeah, because yeah, like well the subversion the subversion plugin doesn't support this version of Java, and then or you know whatever like. Right, you'd end up with plug in hell because you couldn't find a set of plug. And there were companies, um, can't think of the name of one. One of them's, I think, based here in Dallas. They have a prepackaged uh, Eclipse that's just like, hey, we figured out like for a typical developer that's doing Java or web development or whatever, and Git and Subversion or you know all these things. It was prepackaged like here, and they, it was for sale. Um, it was my Eclipse. They still around? My Eclipse. Do, 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 do. That's my googling, and it's just a Genuatech. Yeah, they're. I think they're. I want to say they're in Dallas. Our company. About. Contact. Flower Mound. <laughs> yeah, that's here. But they basically, yeah, they they they're constantly just figuring out like what the latest versions of all the plugins that work together is, and they package that, and you can buy that from them. But that is such a huge smell, you know? Yeah. And when, it looks you know, like they've been around for a while, so obviously they're, they're doing something, right? At some point a few years ago, I, you know, gosh, that's probably longer than a few years ago, six years ago, I you know, started using IntelliJ, the, just the free one, and ended up buying the Enterprise or whatever it's called, mm-hmm. the one you pay for. And it just, it was, I never had any of those kind of plug-in problems. I knew, you know, there's no questioning which bill you download. You just go to Intelligent and IntelliJ's website and hit download and you got right. the right one. It's just so simple. Like they fixed all that. It just it's a, it's the it's, it was the Java ID that just worked for me. Yeah. 
and and they've got a big ecosystem too. I mean, it it is also a platform. I mean, you can build plugins on it. Right. I don't know if you can get a build that doesn't have Java support. Maybe you can actually. I'm not sure. I don't know how tied in Java is with the the platform. But right. Anyway, it's nice. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> but anyway, well, okay. So I want to talk about this metadata API thing we were talking about earlier. So I you know, updated. My, all my tooling was set on metadata API version 34, and I don't ever, I don't upgrade usually to every version unless there's something in the new version that I need. Usually there's not, but in this case there was. So when I had updated to 37, which is the latest, and so then I do a full pull get because even though even if there aren't may not be any new metadata types, they'll add like basically um, properties of these types, new, you know what I mean, like new mm-hmm. elements or attributes of them right and so so first of all so i doubt doubt do a full pull it's the same exact metadata i had on my hard drive right before then it's just new version of the api so there's it supports some new things push that to my build sandbox which was right up to date with where my my sent my developer sandbox was and it fails so like literally the metadata that sells for back to we're back to this again this happens all the time they'll fix it but then it breaks and they fix it then it breaks the metadata that sales produces is invalid metadata. You cannot deploy that. Right. Um, for lots of different reasons, many of which are, you don't even get valid error messages. It's just the, hey, contact support, or here's your, we, we crapped ourselves, here's the, what do they call it, the GAC number or whatever, the error and ID. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of these things in particular I showed you, I was like, look at this, John, tell me what's wrong with this metadata. And what it is, is it was something that referenced fields, custom fields. All right. And the way that it's supposed to get custom cu- re- reference custom fields is just by the, the API names of the fields. Well, these had the field IDs. Zero in, blah, 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 whatever. All over the place. And I asked you, I was like, what happens when I deploy this to an org that it's going to create those fields anew and then these other things that reference those fields is going to be referencing them by the ID. And you're like, well, that's not going to work. Because those fields <laughs> are going to have different IDs. Right. Why is it referencing the fields by IDs? That is obviously completely invalid metadata. I mean, the only thing you can do with that is deploy it right back to the org it came from. Right. That's your point. It's like maybe they expect you just to build everything in production and then deploy to your sandbox. And then, and then I said, well, what, what the hell's the point of that? That's, that <laughs> defeats the purpose of a sandbox. Well, because they, cause they, they're, they're pushing everyone to do everything in production. <sighs> they don't say that. <laughs> but they also don't, they do not, they're very bad at giving guidance on that. Well, I mean, uh, it, it's, it's so ingrained in the culture. They're, they're pushing it, their agenda. They're I pushing guess I shouldn't agenda. paint that broad picture, but I mean, there's so many licenses. cases. There's so many cases where, you know, sandboxes just don't exist and an org, is, an, an org has existed for years and there has never been a sandbox on it, which is, which is scary to me. What did you just say? Because you weren't paying attention? No, I wasn't. It's your turn to ignore me? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> What'd you say? Uh, I was talking about the... Oh, what was I talking about? <laughs> God, that's bad. That's really bad. That's a new low, John. That, that's a that's a great point I made. I couldn't even remember it. <laughs> no, I was, I was making the comment that I've seen orgs that have existed for, for a year or, or so or longer. Or they've, you know, but they've never had a sandbox attached to them. Well, they're, I mean, they're probably just doing simple things. I mean, you don't... Again, it's like... It's the but org again, maturity it's the, model. It's the culture. It's it's the here's a new org. You just started using Salesforce. Now start configuring all your fields and everything. It's not here's a new org. First thing you do is go set up a sandbox, start configuring everything, and then you can deploy everything. It's not that software mentality, or you know, it, it's the very much here it is. And oh, if you need to create code, then you'll need the sandbox. But if you don't, don't worry about that. 
just just do it all in production. It's yeah. okay. It's okay. We got you. Yeah, I, I think they could do. I don't know. Chain sets. Ugh. The thing is, the Salesforce has got to. They've got to. <clears throat> I mean, here, again, this, this is their problem. And I'll do, I won't even say it's a profitability problem because I think they could probably pivot to profitability if they want. What they can't pivot to, or what the 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 big trouble is, is last year they were going at thirty five percent, and this year they're going at twenty five percent. Okay. Now next year are they going to grow at twenty percent, eighteen percent? They they this number needs to not drop. So they their their big push is 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 revenue and selling licenses, and whether that means expanding you know CRM and sales cloud and all that, or just buying all these things, demandware and whatever. They're, they've got to keep the revenue growth going. All right. And so they're not going to, I mean, they're, they're, unless you dig down deep, their messaging is not going to be about best practices that involve you doing all these more complicated things, more techie things, and possibly, heaven forbid, more code things. It's going to be, they're going to be demoing all this, you know. Did you see the real, real, real estate app they demoed for Trailhead? No. It was, it was all basically... They showed how you could demo, you know, this, and it was a simple, it was a very simple app, but it looked good, and it was all drag and drop lightning. It was a mobile part of it, and you know, they, but they just they make it look like this. It's just this draggy droppy. Like you can build all these great apps, and they're desktop, they're mobile, they're mobile responsive, all this stuff, and it's super easy, right? They're not going to talk about, they're not going to talk about you. Maybe you should create a sandbox and do this and test this in sandbox first. They're not even. They don't even go there because it that doesn't sell licenses. Because they're also not selling to the developer. They're selling to the CMO, the COO, the CEO. Yeah. Right? And the CIOs at this point are just like... They're, Sell, they're selling CIOs, dashboards. CIOs, That's what they're selling. Okay, the CIO situation, at least in the States, I think, has really evolved. I mean, early on with cloud computing, they were very defensive about it. They, it, was a, it, was a ter- it was a territory thing, right? That was being infringed on. And now the CIOs... I mean... I think now we've gotten to this point where it's not your job to keep to keep all this in house and have and be in charge of you know server rooms and everything. It's your job to manage information for the business, and that's just become widely accepted to be basically. I mean, yeah, if you've already got infrastructure, fine, but you know you're managing the 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 usage of cloud and hybrid and inside and outside and all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And the CIOs at this point, they're fine with letting in. Instead of man, instead of maintaining their Siebel CRM on premise or whatever the hell they've been using, they are fine with letting that go to Salesforce. Fine, they don't want it, right? Yeah. So they don't give a crap. They don't give a crap if it's, you know, a bad developer experience with a crappy language and and deployments are impossible to roll back and they're hard to move forward and everything. That's someone else's problem, and they're fine with letting that be someone else's problem, <laughs> because you can't. And here's the other thing: we're basically at a point now where you can't get fired for buying Salesforce. Yeah. It is, you know, they're a leader. They're in the right quadrant. They are. In the top <laughs> Which of that means quadrant. You, hold on, know, hold on. What was that phrase that I used? They're the sales uh, CRM giant, right? Is that what it was? Yeah, those. Yeah, it was. What did you say? It was a Salesforce parentheses CRM giant or something like that. Yeah. So, what do you think of the? What do you think of the Elijah? Where? Are, what are we on now? Elijah Craig. Elijah Craig. Nice. <clears throat> I actually think I might like the flavors on the Basil Hayden better. If I, I, I my mistake was I, I diluted it too much, but it had more complex flavors. Yeah, I, I this time, this time, basically just getting vanilla, some wood, a little bit of cinnamon. I mean, it's nice. 
It's pleasant. Yeah. Some spice. Nice spice. It's a bit of spice. Yeah. A little cinnamon spice. It's almost like, remember those toothpicks that had cinnamon? It's almost <laughs> like I sucked on one of those just for a minute, you know? You, I you remember cinnamon. those? I hate cinnamon, actually. Really? I, I just, yeah. yeah. Do you like mole? Customer relationship management giant Salesforce. That's what the term was. Don't tell me you don't like mole. I love mole. Okay, because that's got cinnamon, right? Chocolate yeah. and cinnamon. Maybe I maybe it doesn't have cinnamon. I know it's got chocolate. Yeah. There's a restaurant in Bishop Arts down there south of Dallas. Mm-hmm. That's uh, God. Oh, La, I, th- I believe it's La Mesa. I could be wrong. I think that's it. And it's kind of like um, an upscale. It's not. I mean, it's not like super fancy or anything. But like you know, it's it's not a it's not a greasy Tex-Mex place. It's a little bit more upscale. But they have greasy Tex Mex. What are you saying? Don't get me wrong. I love me some greasy Tex Mex. I'm just saying that's not what this place is. Um, we they, live and die by a greasy Tex Mex exactly, here in yeah, Texas. Right. <laughs> um, but no, they had a lot of seafood, like really well done seafood dishes. Mm-hmm. That were, but um, no, the, the, I think the thing they're most known for, though, is, is their mole dishes. And I didn't get it when I was there. I want to go back and get a mole dish next time. Mm, you're making me hungry. We're always hungry. <laughs> so that's our problem. <laughs> Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, this is the metadata API, though. It's just, it's so frustrating. It's horrible. I mean, the error messages, well, I, 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 I meant a note of this. This is an error message I got earlier. Entity is null, or entity elements name is null. No line number, and this is a 926-line metadata file. Yeah. It, at least tell me which file it was. But that's it. What do you do with that? And by the way, this is untouched metadata that came right out of Salesforce. It, this thing, it's, it's just... And this oh, is, that, I mean, that just feeds the case of, of why, you know, any tool built for Salesforce, you know, in terms of development, it should not stuck be free. On this. Well, that... Because it, it, it's going to take maintenance. It's going to take someone kind of figuring these out, working around these problems. Well, it's time. I think this that's is. Effort. I think this is why it's impossible to have a meta, a, a, an IDE or something that's that's a good developer experience because they're going through this. They're having to deal with this kind of crap. Yeah, but the, you know, if you, if they're getting paid and that's what they do all day, maybe they have a better shot well, of than, my, than us that are trying to part time, you know, build our own tools or part time, you know, keep right, together no, our, no, I, our command lines and. I know, you know we talked about. I know. I know. I mean, I, I agree with you on that. I'm just saying that. No matter how successful they are, how what they're, how much funding that a company had, like there's just things they can't overcome. We we are all subject to dealing with this API. Yes, with all its bugs, ever changing they are. And I mean, there are companies that are splitting the problem and too. In, I mean, and until Salesforce takes this seriously, the metadata API, and also um, things like an API for instances, then. I, did, I, re- I completely reject their claim that they are API first. It's just not true. It's not good enough. They're not there. But to your point, I mean, are, are they ever going to get there because it's not the focus? The question is, is are the, will their customers demand they get there? What are their customers demanding? Well, their what cus- are their customers? Their customers are, <laughs> define the customers, which you did earlier, and, you know, they're not developers, so they're not, de- they're not demanding this. Right. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, they 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 looked. At, they, do, they, do, they, do, they they responded to me like I was crazy when I said it was extremely important. This was four years ago or whatever that they add that they improve Apex, that they add namespaces to Apex, so that us people who have like ten thousand Apex classes aren't about to shoot ourselves. Yeah, 
and they thought I was just they these are people from Salesforce and they said well our developers who work on our in, intern org they just call it the happy soup I'm like are you kidding the happy soup that's a very sad soup <laughs> that no one wants to eat <laughs> oh, it's happy soup you don't have to deal with namespaces but we want namespaces anyway um, what else do I have did you see the discussion in the Slack channel about the piece? Uh, it was I don't know. I, prob I probably will not get your name right, but it, Craig. I'm going to say Donis Throp. Donis Throp. Uh, I'm, I'm on TLS and PSI compliance. Yeah. So his his issue was he's doing. I think he had a customer community. I can't remember, but you know, there's credit card transactions involved, and and their bank is you know doing an audit on them, and they failed them because um, TLS 1.0 is you know, on and working. Mm -hmm. And so we, we were looking around trying to, you know, trying to figure out why that is because Mavens may won't even work with Salesforce anymore because it's TLS 1.0, right? Well, the, the, the thing I noticed is like, well, that's interesting because I noticed when I was using Mavens Mate to connect to Salesforce, I got this nice error message back from Salesforce saying that TLS 1.0 isn't supported. But, but I think it was actually still allowing the connection it looked like it was actually allowing me to connect with TLS 1.0, but then throwing an error message. Hmm. So the problem from the bank's perspective is, technically, Salesforce is still accepting TLS 1.0 connections. Now, you can't get very far with it. You just get an immediate error message, but it's actually at the SSL you know, layer, whatever, you know, at their, whatever, the, whatever first you know, responds, mm -hmm. some kind of load balancers or whatever, those things are accepting TLS 1.0 connections. And so the bank's like, hey, you're not PCI compliant. I mean, fortunately, I, I looked up and discovered that they, the, whoever governs PCI, can't remember the organization now, they pushed that off even further. It's not until 2017 that, that, that you have to disable TLS 1.0. And I think Salesforce will have it di disabled by them. But that, reminded, that just reminds me of the, this idea that, okay, you know, anytime you're building on a platform, you have no control over it. These are the things you might have to, you might be dealing with. You have no control over that. Salesforce is not going to disable TLS 1.0 for you, no matter how much you think you need it. Right. No matter how much it's important to your business or whatever. Now what are you going to do? Things like that can become giant problems. Well said. Have you got into um, this uh, serverless computing? Uh, um, it's, so the, no. the biggest example is Am Amazon has a service called Lambda, which yeah. is their implementation of it. I haven't, I haven't done anything with it, but it looks really interesting. It's basically... We it's, use Lambda for skills in uh, Echo. I said it. I said Echo. I didn't say the other word. Oh, they, they do, people do use Lambda for those. Yeah. Or that's, is that the only option? Is that I how you do it? That's the only option, okay. yeah. In fact, I think uh, the skills are restricted to a certain region because that's where Lambdas are mm. enabled. Because it's only in a certain region. They haven't propagated out to other regions, apparently. So everything you develop has to be in that region. Which is weird. I'm like targeting a region for development. It's weird. Yeah. Um, but no, it's basically, you know, you, it's, it's, it's a way to deploy your app. But instead of you, you know, either, you know, whether you're, you're buying, you know, infrastructure and, and you're managing, you're, you're installing your Tomcat or whatever your server stack is yourself, mm -hmm. or whether you're using... Heroku, right? Who is running Tomcat for you? You just, um, but you still have your Tomcat, right? With even with Heroku, like there's your Tomcat. At least I think there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely there is. And in 
with with Lambda or the serverless, it's like you don't get your own. In, I don't think you do your own instance of like an app server. Basically, you just give them your your WAR file, your you know your Ruby slug, whatever the hell you whatever you're building it in, and they only support certain things. I know it's, it's Java. Um, I think Go is supported. Um, JavaScript, Node, and then mm-hmm. uh, Python. I think is, but you just basically just give them your 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 project, your project files, or your build, or whatever it is, and they totally just take they control what kind of you know application stack or server that needs, and they also completely control the scaling of it. Yeah. So like you might get one hit an hour, and that's fine. They'll respond to that. Now it might take a a second or two if your app hasn't been used for them to for it to respond. But that's in the case of you like you have almost no activity, right? Right. You know, if you have you know ten requests a second, then it's just going to probably stay in memory. <clears throat> and but they're managing all that for you. And then if you go from ten sec- ten requests a second to a hundred requests a second to a thousand requests a second, that's all fine. I mean, as long as you built your app in a stateless, you know, modern kind of twelve factor right. type of way or whatever, it takes you completely out of that job of managing your own, you know, your server. Is that is that kind of a win win situation, or is it more of a this is really hard. We're going to figure it out and make it really easy for you, and we're it, going to make a bunch of money off of it. So, it, okay, at first blush, to me, it's one of those things like it seems too good to be true. Yeah. Really, you know, is it? You know, is it really expensive? You know, like what if I do have a lot of traffic? Is it way more expensive than if I, if I just provision my own, you know, Amazon Beanstalk server or just you know right. EC two? Um, but it is Amazon, so I'm get I'm I, and I haven't looked at the pricing. And even if I did, I don't know how I would know if I would know how to interpret that, like what that actually means. But it's, I, you know, it's Amazon, so I'm assuming it's probably, a, if not a great deal, at least probably a, probably a good deal. Yeah, I mean, they, it's weird. They, I went to the pricing page, and they have this kind of weird graph of, and they're comparing it to on-premise versus, you know, Amazon. They have this weird graph where the on-premise, of course, is, is going up in cost on a steady trend. But the, the AWS is kind of a low upfront start then you peak, and then, you know, half a year is what it's saying, is over half a year, you'll peak on amount usage, and then it'll start to taper off back down. I wonder what, why. No, I don't know. Probably depends on some kind of usage pattern you have. Maybe. Well, I guess that's true. I mean, you, you, because the usage will scale, and you're paying by the usage, right? The CPU, or are you still paying CPU? What are you paying here? I think you're paying time. I, that's a good question. I don't know how you pay. I would think it's CPU time. I think it's CPU time. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, you get your, your peaks and then your, your valleys, and your valleys are costing you nothing. Nothing. Yeah. But if it's on-premise, you're constantly scaling up, and you're, constant, you're paying sure. and supporting the full cost of that scale factor. Although you could be running, you know, a private cloud, <clears throat> where, you know, and it, which makes sense for big companies, right? They can run their own, you know, VMware or something, right? Where if someone, you know, runs an app and it has a, a period of high traffic and then it tapers down, they can just they can scale back the resources assigned to that app because it's all virtualized virtualization anyway. Anyway, yeah, I'm I, I need to find a use case for that because I want to play with that. Yeah, build like, some some echoes. I mean, it just, well, that's that's that'd be interesting actually. Um, no, it's uh, it seems like the the next evolution and in just insane simplicity of running applications nowadays. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of options out there. I mean, it it it's no longer all that intimidating to to build some kind of, you know, 
mobile application that's available on all these devices and no, the infrastructure although, and the scaling to, to support that. I mean, because that was intimidating. It's like, yeah, I have this great idea. It's going to, you're going to be able to track and share your grocery list. Well, crap. Now I got, yeah, my app is like one, you know, the interface is really simple, but the back end has to have this, you know, huge servers and be able to communicate and, you know, handle transactions coming in and transactions coming out and notifications because you built them. Kind and not of, to mention, you know, redundant power, redundant, right, exactly. redundant network, all that stuff. I mean, they're just like, you all that is outsourced now, and it's it's yeah. pretty it's relatively cheap. I mean, there are some um, who was it that was it Dropbox that that uh, I remember a couple of months ago they decided they were 100 percent on Amazon and they just said, hey, we're going to just build our own data centers now. So they thought they could probably do it more cheaply, either that or they wanted more control over the types of technologies that were available or something. You know, how, how yeah, was, who knows? I remember bringing that up. Yeah, I, it, but it's, but then we have companies like Netflix that went from oh double down. I mean, yeah. just, I mean they've they've always been. Well, no, that's not true. They haven't always been all Amazon. I mean, they, I remember um, their path to getting to being fully, basically fully on Amazon. In fact, they didn't achieve, you know, and I'll say fully on Amazon in quotes because it's probably not everything, but what they considered to be, okay, we're pretty much fully on Amazon now. They, that happened like last year. I mean, it took them a well, long we'll time to get there. We'll see what Thanksgiving and Christmas is like to see if this transition was successful from, from well, a consumer perspective. You got to remember, what, as a consumer, when you are using Netflix... Most of what's happening is from s- some server that's right, that's probably miles from you, mm-hmm. because they put these boxes in the telco providers, these edge, these edge devices that have that are actually stream the actual streaming. Mm-hmm. You know, most of what they have in Amazon is, you know, commerce and recommendation engines and all, there's a ton of ton of stuff, but it's not it's not necessarily the streaming part, all right? Which is what you think of the most like I think of Netflix you think of streaming but really that's actually happening right very close in, in your probably in your local city I don't know I mean I, n- I noticed both Apple and Netflix will have connectivity issues or outages or streaming issues um, around the holidays and well it, it makes sense because well, more people on it I mean peak, you have yeah. every although I've never seen that I don't use I Apple that much every year it's like it's like clockwork really I'm like I'll see some issues and I'll think is it a my first thought is is it a holiday today if if it is, then it's that. If well, it's the, not, the question then it's is what's different what's causing that? Issue. Is that um, is that Netflix's fault? Is it your ISP's fault? Is that because your neighborhood people are slamming it? You know, there's it's these things are always it's always it becomes hard to like definitively point a finger to a certain party. <laughs> you know, I know every year holiday time. Yeah, I can't I can't watch anything that I've bought, which is which at that which at that actually, point in time makes me go. That this, makes me wonder if sucks. you have an. That makes me wonder if you have you know if it's an IS, ISP thing. Just like so many people are streaming, it's not necessarily Apple or Netflix or Hulu's fault. It's just that there's your your neighborhood's pipe is full. It's FiOS. Doesn't matter. They still have a. Well, still just a certain you know pipe. It's got to be better than your pipe. Won't <laughs> <laughs> be the first time I've heard that. <laughs> All right, I have a what? I have a WTF over the week. And then I'm done unless you have some more stuff. Um, I have tests that pass when I deploy. They pass when I run them in uh, the migration tool. They pass in Maven's Mate. They pass in whatever you want to run them. Except they don't pass if you run them in test execution. Yep, I have that. And the error here is that they say one of my classes in, is invalid. And it's a, actually, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a test setup or a test data generate factory class. And it's creating a, I think it's an, I think it's an, like a knowledge article version, but there's a, there's a field on that called publish status. And I need that to be online. So I'm setting publish status to online. And 
when I run through test the Apex test execution or through the dev console, it says, uh-uh, your dependent class is invalid because that field of published status is not writable. Mm. And it's, it's actually, I think, if I remember looking at the docs a while back, and I think it's actually not writable. But I'm able to save the Apex class with it writing to it. And again, when I deploy, everything passes. When I run, when I test through anything else, it, the tests pass. When I run those tests through a te- Apex test execution and when I ran them through Illuminated Cloud, I got, that was my dependent invalid class. That's what it was. I'm, I'm writing to the published status field. So is everything else swallowing the error? I don't know. They're not swallowing it. But I mean, you think when I deploy to Salesforce and they run all my tests that they're swallowing an error and letting me deploy? No, they're not doing that. So the, 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 it's all the running. deployment it's graph is all green. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And it actually deploys it. Uh, uh, yes. Huh. So that is my WTF of the week. I mean, that, that, that makes sense because I've seen it before. I've seen where I can run a test and pass them and, and do all these things, but yet, for some reason or another, I ran it through the, the UI, through the, you know, the Apex test runner, yeah. and it, it would fail there. This is just... Sometimes I would get failures on the tooling, but then run it through there and not get a failure, which is weird. Oh, so what did you just pour? Uh, 1792 small batch. Surprisingly, it's got a... Everything is small batch now, John, which is a meaningless term. It's small batch artisanal. It is artisanal. Craft made. You got to smell it, though. I mean, it's it's really, really, really fruity, really, I don't know, I just like smelling it. Surprising. That is is not a banana. Yeah. Yeah. It's still there. I mean, it, it was so prominent that when I when I opened the cork, it, I got that smell, and I had to I had kind of double taked and had to check it. Now you get it on the taste too. It's good. Yeah, I wonder. I always wonder, like you know, cooperage is a big aspect in the in these bourbons. And I wonder what, you know, what kind of barrels is that? You know, they can, they have to use oak. Does it have to be American oak or can it be like French or Hungarian oak? Do you know? I, I think it has I to think be American. I think for bourbon, it has to be American. It has to be charred yeah. and it has to be new and yeah. never used. But I wonder, you know, the species of oak, where the oak is from, um, how it's kilned. I don't know if they kiln them. I would imagine they do because they got to make barrels out of them. Yeah. Um, the, the level of toast, the, the technique of toasting. But I wonder on these ones that have this, this banana component, is, do you think that's like a less toasted, more toasted? What is that? I don't know. Because it really tastes like banana. It does. Which is awesome because I don't get to eat bananas because I'm I still think apparently one, allergic to it. Yeah, you probably are. I'm, a I'm, I'm allergic to most tropical fruits. So I get like a blister tickle effect that yeah. happens in the back of my throat. Oh. And, and my wife has, has pretty much like said, you're not allowed to eat tropical fruits because she's afraid one day it'll escalate and I'll, right. I'll end up on the floor you know, yep. suffocating. No, if, if I eat green bananas, my throat, mouth, lips will itch. <clears throat> like, do you get like blisters or it's just no, itch? No, just itch. Yeah, I get, itch. I get like very I, prominent. I don't get any kind of hives or anything like it's that. It's like a sandpaper type okay, that's, blistering. That's not good. But I love bananas. My favorite growing up, on the occasion when, when this was possible because we grew up really poor, we always had some kind of cornflakes. It was the off-brand in the bag, not yeah, the real cornflakes. Right. Yeah. The ones they put at the bottom of <laughs> yeah, the shelf. Yeah, the bottom of the shelf. Yeah. Now, you know what? And now that's that's like the big thing now because everyone's all 
hipsterfying everything. Exactly. So no, now bag yeah. cereals are the thing. Everything that was lame is now cool. Yeah. So anyways, I, I used to have the, the off-brand bag cereal. But what made it nice and palatable every so often is every so often we'd have fresh bananas. And I'd love to chop up bananas and put them in my cereal. Yep. So I didn't get marshmallows. I got bananas, which is probably better for me. You think? Just a little. I mean, it, it's good for you health-wise, but man, those marshmallows and cereal are good for the soul. <laughs> um, you know what I didn't bring? is my beer. I have a new beer. Oh, I that you that, brewed? We'll, we'll do that next week. Yeah. Yeah. I think after our taste testing here, we, we didn't get to the Four Roses. No. But we already know what that yeah. tastes like. I told you. But we'll try it off air. Off air. Yep. You said you had one more thing. No, it was, it was the WTF. I'm done. Stick a fork in me. I'm not done. I want to keep talking now. Well, then keep talking. I'm going to just pack up and (laughs) (laughs) keep talking to yourself. Uh, And to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. I need to be able to look down and gasp. (laughs) (laughs) That's me gasping. Without gasping into the mic. Oh my gosh.